Hello and welcome to my podcast, Conversations with David. I'm your host, David Owasi. And on this podcast, we're talking to accomplished professionals and entrepreneurs across the country. We are learning about what keeps them passionate, what keeps them going, and we're also learning uh, lessons along the way. Now, I'm here with uh, with my friend, uh, Mago Miller, someone who I have huge respect for, a titan in our community here in Winnipeg. And uh, I'm very excited to have her on the show today. Why don't you introduce yourself, Mago? Oh my gosh, thanks so much, David, for having me. Yeah, so as you said, I'm Margot Miller, and currently I'm the program director for Tech Manitoba. And I also host a podcast on the side, which is called Start Podcast. And we interview specifically startups and only the founders of those startups from the Canadian prairies. That's exciting. And yes, I will have a link to your to your show uh, as well in the description. But uh, Mago, I'm very curious to start out with your career journey. And I know you started out uh, in marketing and communications in your first professional roles. Why was that of interest to you? Why were you passionate about that line of work? You know, I don't think I've ever actually been asked that question, David. The outset of my career, I think, was one where I kind of jumped in. My degree was in criminal justice and sociology, so it was not in a communications related field. But I think naturally when people met me, they saw this energy, they saw the desire to speak to people in the community and be kind of, I was able to communicate really clearly and and naturally about whatever it was that I was doing at the time. Basically for me, if I was gonna dedicate myself to something, it was something I was going to be passionate about because then it made it really easy to naturally sound like a good communicator on whatever that topic was, right? So mm-hmm. um, when I started out, I got really lucky. I, I ended up being kind of tapped by a friend who worked at Paquin Entertainment and they just needed like a junior marketing coordinator. So this is me out of school. Having worked in these kind of experiential marketing roles, right? Like promo work and things like that, but never at like a desk job for marketing. And they kind of, I think, took a chance on me at the time. They've been hiring kind of the Asper grads or whatever the business grads. And at the time it wasn't really working for them. I still had a university degree, but I had this passion. So they said, all right, we'll try from the passion side. So for me, it was just really fun to be able to do what what ended up turning into a job that was a lot more about kind of community engagement, third party relationships and marketing. So stuff like um, when we were marketing shows across the country, if they were shows for kids and families, I would go, my job would be to make relationships with like a mom blogger, right? Some of these, like, and nowadays, some of those platforms are huge, the the reach that these people have doing, you know, mommy blogging as a term. But so we would, you know, give them maybe some free tickets to the show. So they promoted it to their audience. And so what was supposed to be kind of marketing communications really ended up being this community engagement piece, because I got to do fun things with these partnerships across the country. And that really, you can see after that, really flowing through my whole career, like, and all my volunteer work too. It was finding the things you're passionate about. For me, that was that like partnership community engagement piece, and then finding a way to kind of integrate that into my career. So even if it was doing something totally different, like I'm in, I'm in the tech space now, it's still in a function where I'm forming partnerships. I'm helping people advance their technical knowledge or helping their company grow with services for technology companies. And so it's still always like helping and connecting, right? And it's that, that theme that I really saw all throughout. Even though my jobs might look all over the place, the functions of the core really are, there's such a path that you can see. Absolutely. And thanks for, for, for laying that out, uh, Mago. And your, your story is very inspiring. Like I know you've won awards in your field for, for, for the last few years. 
But uh, just a point on, on something you mentioned when you were answering the question, you were talking about, you know, uh, finding your passion and kind of using that, turning that into something you get paid to do. Now, the reason why I'm, I'm very curious about this line of questioning is because a lot of our listeners, uh, some of them are, you know, younger and thinking, you know, what should I go, what should I do in my career? Now, there's an element of just pursuing your passion straight out. And also, there's also the element of, you know, being skilled because, you know, it doesn't mean the fact that you're passionate about something doesn't mean you're skilled at it. How do you balance, you know, the approach of finding your passion and also finding something you're really good at or something you can be very good at to build a career out of it? Because that seems like something you've done so far in your career. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are physical exercises you can do for to plan for that. So for example, like Carrie Twig has some great resources. She's a Winnipegger. She has a great LinkedIn channel. Um, so, you know, for example, like writing down the things you've done in your life that you were, that were work-related, that you really enjoyed, like things you were really passionate about. When you do an exercise like that, where you write down those things and kind of have them in front of you, say you pick six things. And again, this is a good carry to exercise. She says it, she explains it better than me. But um, upon doing an exercise like that, you can see all these things you're really good at. Even if you're a junior in your role, so you don't necessarily have a ton of work experience, you can still find like a common thread. With that thread, what you have to be able to do then is figure out transferable skills. So like I might, you know, my brother, for example, loves driving around on an ATV. Well, that's not in and of itself a job, but what are some jobs that involve maybe, you know, science, environmental research, whatever, things like that, where you're out in the field driving around on a quad, okay? So he, um, so for someone like that, it's like, you have to kind of stretch it a little bit, right? Like if the things you really love don't perfectly, he's not going to be like a quad racer for a living, right? That's not a job for him. But, you know, could he use some of these other things and turn it into something that where the job itself, the function of it might be something like environmental research. But if it means all day, like a lot of your days, you get to drive around in nature, be on the quad, take samples, do things like that. Yes, you need an additional skill set, but you're going to put yourself in a situation that you're, that you still really enjoy. It'll help you be passionate about the rest of the work that you're doing because the environment that you're in is something you really enjoy. So it's, it does take a little work to try and match those and, and tie those things together. But um, the other side of it for me is not such a concrete answer, right? Like I feel as though I got quite lucky in some ways. I think a lot of people have pressure in their lives to really go down a very specific path. Maybe you have encouragement from your family members or friends to say, you know, you have the great greatest personality to be a lawyer, so go do that. Or you have a personality to be, you know, we expect that you're going to become a doctor, so go do that. When you're in a world of, you know, community engagement, marketing, community relations, um, sales, all those things, there's so many places you can take that. And I think my advice there would be to really remain open to the possibilities of what might come in front of you. And again, really try and think about those skills you have that are transferable. Because again, if you go back to the example of my path, at one point I was selling custom wine cellars to you know people who were had quite fancy homes around the world, um, you know millionaires and more and higher that were building custom wine cellars in their homes. That doesn't match with technology that I'm in now. That doesn't match with you know marketing and communications for a recruitment firm where I was before that. But I was just open to saying, okay, does industry matter? Yes or no. And it was luxury marketing. So that was interesting, right? Luxury marketing and sales. So that was like, that was another step for me, something I got to learn and and engage with. It's really just to say like, could, could I have thought I was doing that at that point in time? No, I wouldn't have predicted that. Right. But 
I, I wasn't afraid to steer off that path a little bit. Sometimes that can be really scary for people. And so, you know, my advice there would be just like really listen to the whole opportunity and that might be in front of you. Try looking at jobs that might not at the outset seem like they're a perfect fit and just seeing where those transferable skills lie. And then ultimately though, the flip side of that coin is really make sure that that job matches those things that are gonna make you happy from doing kind of an exercise like carries because sometimes something on paper might seem interesting, but if you actually look at the core of what it's asking you to do, sometimes the opposite happens. So you end up being open and it's, and it's actually you've gone too far into something the other direction. So you definitely just need to, you know, put things on paper, write it out, think critically about it, talk about it with people that are in your close like proximity in your life, right? Um, and, and for me, the fortune was being open and getting to work for some really amazing entrepreneurs, people like, you know, Wade Miller, who was, is at, was at Pinnacle and is at the Bombers now, of course, as a CEO, who are, you know, they're super engaged in the community and they're, they're driven as can be, right? And so sometimes people like that are polarizing, but when you work with them, you learn so much because they are getting it done, you know? And so, so there, you know, there's a lot of advice in there, but, and sometimes the who you're working for is a really important thing to look at too and be really open to. Absolutely. That's fantastic answer. So much to unpack there. But one of the things that I think I liked there was just writing things down and having some sort of, it's easy to have a lot of things in your head, but if you don't put them down, uh, it's you just get lost because they'll just be ideas. And that thing also just to add to your point, coming from a professional recruiter perspective, is the idea of uh, focusing on how you can add value to people. Because most times it's very easy to get lost in, oh, this is all I can do, or this is my expertise, or these are my skills. But ultimately, what truly works and what truly opens the door in the real world is finding ways where your skills can add value to other people, whether it's your company you're interested in working for, or whether it's a sort of an industry, or whether it's a specific problem you're trying to solve. Adding value to other people is always going to be the key to opening career opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. I tell people all the time to volunteer because, especially if you're young in your career still, that's just a way that you're giving back. And when it comes time that you want something like a new job or a connection to somebody, people are going to be way more willing to give that to you. And you meet some pretty powerful people when you're volunteering because that doesn't stop at a certain age, right? Like there's people at all phases of their career. I've made some amazing connections through being engaged in the community. And I get it. Like it may not be for everyone because if you have a young family or things like that, like you've got commitments that are, that are holding you back from that. So you know, totally understand if some people are listening, thinking like, it's just not feasible for me. But the challenge I would say to that, like, aside from having, like looking after family members, which certainly is very time consuming. And we are also in a tricky time in the world when it comes to that kind of stuff. But outside of that, I've challenged a lot of friends who have said they don't have time. And I think a lot of times that's coming from just a place of like uncertainty when it comes to what volunteer opportunities are available. There are programs like, for example, Spark in Manitoba is, a, is an outlet you can look at. They do short-term volunteer opportunities specifically matched to a skill set. So if you're good at like designing websites and you think, well, yeah, but that's not volunteering every week at the gift shop at the or at the you know hospital. Well, you don't have to volunteer at a hospital to still be volunteering in the community. Like you can do like there's tons of small companies, not-for-profits, charities that would love an upgrade to their website, right? If that's what you can do and just commit to for a short period of time, that's still hugely helpful for them. So it's just like, what are those skills you actually have? 
and then finding a way that you can give back using those. It doesn't have to be something you find boring or a stretch or in an environment you don't enjoy. There are tons of ways to give back to the community in fun, engaging ways that use your existing skills. So think outside the box for one second on that one. And I bet you, you'll find some people that could use your Absolutely, Mango. Thanks for that insight. And that kind of is a good segue to my next point. You have actually used your own advice in building your own career. And, uh, you know, one, one of the things that is associated with you is your passion for telling the stories of local startups and for connecting people in your community, in our community. We are Winnipegers together. And that is something that has been a hallmark of your career. Can you just share with me why that is important to you? And just tell me more about, you know, your work with that podcast as well as Tech Manitoba with sharing the stories of local startups and connecting people. You know, we have such interesting things happening in the prairies, in Manitoba, in Winnipeg. And right now with the pandemic and being leading up to the holidays, you know, people are certainly pushing like supporting local, you know, we do that on our show. You're doing that through your efforts here too. But when we started the podcast, what we realized was we don't hear enough of these amazing stories of what's going on in our province. I would go, you know, be traveling to other cities for work, let's say, like maybe I'm at a conference in Toronto and people would kind of go, oh, Winnipeg, you know, what's going on there? Why do you live there? That kind of thing. And I'd have all these great stories for them. And by the time they would finish talking to me, they'd go, actually, cool. Like maybe I want to come visit Winnipeg. But we all need to have that, right? And we all need to have the stories. I happen to work in an industry where I get those stories and I'm asking all the time, you know, it's my personality, but if you're not that person, how do you get those anecdotes and those stories so that when you're at your next dinner party or your next zoom chat with friends, if we're still in the pandemic, you know, how do you, how do you get those stories? And so we said, let's start a show that does exactly that. So when we started start podcast, um, we, wanted to share these stories of amazing businesses here so that like on one hand people could find out about them and support them and we could promote an awesome business and then on the other side of it you know really champion and have something that people could take out there and no longer have an excuse you know to let people say that we live somewhere that isn't quite up to snuff because we have so many amazing things happening here we just need more outlets to share them right and so podcasts like this one and like start podcasts are such a great way to do that. Absolutely. And uh, so far, you've done uh, a lot of episodes uh, You're in your what, third season now or second season? We're just about going into our third one. Yeah. Yeah. Per- second. You got it. Yeah, that's that's amazing. So what, uh, I'm just curious for yourself. I know you've spoken to a lot of founders, a lot of very interesting company with, with massive ideas. What has that thought taught to you about Winnipeggers? And what has that taught to you about the startup scene in Winnipeg as a whole? And the reason why I ask that is, you know, some of our listeners are local Winnipeggers who are thinking, I want to start my own company. What have you learned so far? Yeah. Uh, well, what we lack, what we lack in funding in Manitoba, we make up for in community support. So if you're hearing people tell you like, well, we don't have enough funding to start a business here. There's not big VC investors and things like that. Well, the first thing I would say to you is, are you the type of company that actually really realistically is going to need a VC funder anytime soon? Okay. Question number one. Question number two is, um, you know, would having huge community support, like, you know, if you are a small business that, that sells something, you know, do you need people to adopt that quickly? And would local people be helpful for that? And if the answer to that is at all, yes. I mean, the guests that come on our show on Start Podcast will tell you that staying in Manitoba to start their business was so beneficial to them because of the enthusiasm and the supportive community that we have here. We joke in Winnipeg, right, about having like two degrees of separation. Well, in a big city, 
if you're someone starting a business that sounds similar to someone else's business, you're just a number, basically. You're another business. Here in Manitoba, there's a select group of people that are choosing to be entrepreneurs, right? And we're a small community, so people recognize it. You get more attention, you get more support, even more mentorship and access to programming because you're not competing with as many people to enter into those programs. And we still do have a ton of amazing programs. So things like, you know, free, there's tons of free business training from World Trade Center, even stuff like from right at the base, like how do you get your business number and open, you know, with the, with the company's office and things like that. So they'll go through all that for you totally for free in webinars. We've got people like Northforge who have incubators and accelerator, accelerators. So more if you have like a tech company you're hoping to scale, same thing, or you're hoping to start, pardon me. And same with like the Manitoba Technology Accelerator that we have here, MTA. And they'll do more of that like acceleration period when you're ready to really grow. So an example of a company that went through MTA that's doing awesome things is Calia Flowers, who a lot of people have heard of. So there are these programs to really help you kick butt and grow. And, um, and we've got things like small business tax credits and IRAP funding and stuff like that. You can Google some of those if you're looking at, you know, what's some baseline funding you can get. But, you know, and I can name a ton of cool companies coming out of here through my experience with the show. So we're so lucky that we have the community that's as supportive as it is. And that truly is a benefit to starting a business because you don't get lost in the sea of so many other people trying to do the same thing. Absolutely. And just to add on to that, one of the things I've also heard from founders here in Winnipeg is just that the diversity of, of, the, of the, the population here in Winnipeg. And it's almost like a perfect testing ground for any new business ideas because you'll have a section of every type of community you can be looking for here in Winnipeg. Would you agree with that as well? Yeah, that's a great point, David. We certainly do have many cultures, many backgrounds, many, and you know, all ages, demographics. There are, and some people think, well, that's probably everywhere. And, and in fact, it's not true, right? There are some communities that are known as retirement communities and the whole town is all, you know, aging population. We do truly have a big mix here. Um, and, you know, I know some people say like, well, wouldn't it be better to test something in like a really major city, say a Vancouver or Toronto, but again, you're more likely to get lost there and people won't even see you. You won't get the time of day. Right. So it is a great, it's a great opportunity to start something here in Winnipeg. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thanks for sharing all of that. Now, also, I know you, you are, you are the program director at Tech Manitoba, right? I think that's your title, if I got that correctly. Yeah, uh, yeah. Can you tell me more about your work day and just uh, what Tech Manitoba does and how you can provide support to, I guess, technology entrepreneurs? Can you share more information about that? Absolutely. So at Tech Manitoba, we are the technology association of the province. So we support um, tech companies. There are members, everything from small tech startups all the way to large multinational tech companies or tech enabled companies. And so we do everything from advocacy with the government and leveraging the connections that we have to how we have programs to get more women in tech to get more youth in tech so that we have enough of a talent pool that our tech companies can fill their jobs here with Manitobans and not risk losing any tech companies because of lack of talent. So getting the youth interested. Um, and then we have a digital literacy program helping to get people online, period. There are many people across our province. We're so spread out here in Manitoba that we forget sometimes, you know, and there are many people who don't have access to internet or computers or technology in the same way. And so, we want to just help get people online too, which is especially relevant in the pandemic. Um, and I know our school systems are talking a lot about that. So um, we, when it comes to your question about specifically if people are starting a new tech company, 
we would probably first, you know, refer you to some of our friends, like what I was referring to there earlier at MTA or at North Forge, who do have these programs that can take you right from like day one of being a founder through the process of, you know, ideation, building your business plan, you know, figuring out who, if, you have, if you have product market fit and all that stuff, and they'll walk you through it. A really cool thing that North Forge has too is a fabrication lab. So the fabrication lab that they have is, you know, they call it for short, the fab lab, but it's the largest in North America, actually, which, and we have that in Winnipeg. So again, there's a fun story for the dinner table. Um, what this fabrication lab is, it's essentially like a maker space. So they use a monthly fee type thing. So it'd be like paying a gym membership every month. But what that gets you access to is a huge facility in the exchange district in Winnipeg that has um, CNCs and laser cutters and laser printers and 3D modeling technology and all these tools you can use to prototype something. So it's basically like you can do advanced manufacturing, you can do prototyping and um, you know creating hardware devices even. And then there's makers who build just like beautiful things out of wood, right? Like, you know what the forks, when you get those Manitoba blocks um, for your drinks that mm -hmm. go, yep, the flight, flights. Um, those were designed and built in the fab lab at North Forge. And this guy's just paying a monthly fee instead of having to invest, you know, $30,000 in a large piece of equipment that might be really unreasonable for a startup. So those are really cool options that, that we have um, to help you out. And then if you're a small business and you're at the phase where you're running, but you're still new enough and you're looking for more clients or you're looking for the network and the connections to get you to that next step, that's when you'd want to come become a member of Tech Manitoba and join our community in that way. So um, lots of really cool things out there. And but certainly, you know, if you're wondering what to do, any of the people I just named, you know, Manitoba Technology Accelerator included, you reach out to one of those people. And if they're not the right fit, they'll uh, they'll direct you to the one who is. We're all pretty, we all play nicely and help each other. And, you know, it's such a collaborative community that we work in. Yeah, very cool. I know I have experienced a fab lab myself. I was there a couple of years ago. I was fascinated by the 3D printers. I know the back then it was the craze at the time. I think it still is, uh, but it was so cool to see all of the uh, the technologies and how that uh, that really can push uh, small businesses forward, especially those with big grand ideas to make very cool things. Uh, I think yeah. that was that was very cool. But uh, I know one of your passions, uh, Mango, is really uh, having supporting women in tech and having more representation uh, for women in tech. Can you just share more about your passion about that specific, I guess, problem or challenge, if you will, and how perhaps you're approaching helping to improve the diversity of women in tech? Mm -hmm, absolutely. You know, it first started when I worked at a small tech company and I could see the very obvious delineation in roles of women in more support roles and men in the more technical roles. And um, we, since then, I started working at Tech Manitoba, so as, at the association, and we have a program specifically around gender parity. So I got a chance to really dig into it so much deeper. And we have a lot of opportunity. There's, you know, there's a lot of space to improve. Manitoba is doing well against the national average. Like we're basically at on par with it at around 25 to 27% women working in tech. Um, but that's not necessarily the goal that you wanna reach, right? Like we wanna be way further ahead of that. That's just saying, okay, we're consistent with other provinces. Um, so what we're doing at Tech Manitoba is twofold. We basically undertook a bunch of research to first ask the community, what are those barriers to girls and women moving into the tech space? And, you know, partly it's just, it's longstanding things, right? Many of the, the just barriers we can see from, from the society we live in over time, right? But in, when it comes to what can we do now, the, there, were, there was kind of twofold. 
when we were talking to actual individuals, they wanted to be part of a community. If say, for example, a woman was by herself in a tech department, so great, you've hired a woman, she's there, but because no matter what, you feel a bit out of place if you're one of the only people in any manner, right? We can talk about diversity here too in a broader sense, but you are going to feel like you just don't fit in in the same way. Natural conversation around the office, at the table, it's just, it's tougher, right? When you're the only one that represents whatever it is you're representing, in this case, being a woman. And so the average time that a woman is staying in a job in tech is way lower than men in tech jobs. So it's actually only a few years before a woman typically moves out of a technical role. So we need to retain women in tech that are in there as well. So we said, okay, first part we're hearing is they need a community. The second part that we were hearing is that companies who were trying to undertake a process of gender parity and diversity. And this is, again, like we're seeing a ton of webinars and stuff about this in the community. But what they're telling us is either we have a quick webinar and okay, yes, we're thinking about it, or we have this huge tool and it's like years of work and where the heck do we get started, right? So we did two things. One, we started a group called the Manitoba Women in Tech Meetup Group. So you can just go to meetup.com and find that. We meet the third Wednesday of every month. And our last two events have had almost 100 women at each one. We just started this a couple months ago. Yes, so amazing start, especially for a virtual event. It's for, that's free. Um, but yeah, meetup.com, look up Manitoba Women in Tech and you'll find this group and, and it's totally free to join. And it's just a way to meet other women working in tech. Even if, let's say you're a graphic designer, but that means you're doing a lot of digital design and that makes you feel like you're working in tech. Great, you're a woman in tech, come as well. Like we're not prescriptive to what that definition means to people. We have everything from people in the digital media design program at Red River College to you know, senior technical staff leaders at major tech companies that are attending this event and everything in between. So really awesome place to make connections, network, and again, just feel like you're not alone as part of that community. And then for the company side of it, if you're in charge of recruitment at a company and you want more to get more women in there, there are a bunch of things that you can do to start with. And again, like I know if you if you've started Googling it or you started on this project, it feels daunting. There's so much information out there. So contact us at Tech Manitoba. We've got this new guide that's basically a checklist of things that you can do. It's got different indicators to show you, like you can find where you are on the scale to kind of see how your company's doing and, um, and use that as a great place to start and use as a baseline tool. So again, to not scare you away from a huge project, we started with something that was really tangible. So we're super excited to have just launched that too and just you know slowly move the dial, right? Absolutely. And uh, that's the place to start, uh, you know, having that community, talking about it, bringing that to the awareness of people in the community and scaling it up from there. And you, you, were, you, met, you touched on something there, Mago, and uh, you touched on, on uh, a tool you've created to help companies. And I know when we were preparing for this conversation, you talked about uh, the tool was to help tech companies improve women participation. Can you just share more information about what that tool is like and what um, what potentially uh, business executives and leaders could expect if they use that tool and to increase women participation in the organizations? What's that tool all about? Yes, absolutely. So that was the tool I was kind of just alluding to there. So this is great. I'll take, get a chance to tell you a little bit more about it. Um, it's basically a series of 15 indicators within three different dimensions. So it's things like your organizational culture and your recruitment retention and advancement of women in tech. And so 
women in your organization. It really can, can be used across a, a wide playing field here. And so when you're going through the tool, it basically has a series of indicators to tell you, um, are you missing minimum requirements? Are you meeting them or are you exceeding them? So you read whatever the line item is, say it's around you know, policies for leave for women, for families or for women working in your organization. And then the indicators might say something like, you know, no, we have no written policies. They're only verbal. So, you know, under that box, you might say, okay, this is something we should do, right? The next one might be, we have written policies. They only cover this and this, right? The next indicator might be to be exceeding the requirements. You have policies. Everyone knows about them. You market them. You talk about them at your annual meeting with your whole staff. You know, you're doing all of these things to go above and beyond. So what's really cool about the tool is that you, if you're not necessarily meeting all the requirements, it's not just a blank statement of, did you do it or not? You have a goal that you can try and advance to and reach to because they're all right there for you to give you a sense of, you know, for those companies that we've talked to that are exceeding it, here are some examples of things that they're doing. So, and then we have also resources in there with a bunch of links to further documentation. So if one of the indicators or dimensions are something you that you haven't really looked into, then right away you can find a little bit more kind of backstory to go with those. But they're not, it's not all written in there to start with. It's just this nice clean kind of checklist type document so that if there are things you're already doing, you're not, you don't have to kind of sludge through all the detail to find it, right? Like we've made it so easy and visible for you. And we've just started piloting that right now. So if anyone wants to pilot that with us and have the free tool and test it out with your team, it gives such a good baseline for your company to know kind of where are we at today? Because there's so many times where, you know, this, this conversation comes to the boardroom table or comes to the management table. And it's, but it's hard to know because there's no baseline. And what do you decide makes the baseline? So we've done that hard work for you. We've consolidated huge tools, tons of research and brought it all together to say, this is a very good baseline to start with. Once you fill it out, then it's something you could do like year after year, one time a year, or maybe once every couple of years to reassess, like how the changes that we've made impacted where we're at. And it's very easy because you can see this sliding scale on each indicator. So we're really proud of it. And we really hope that it helps companies in our province and, and further abroad. Excellent. Yeah, I'm super, super excited about, about that. And uh... 2020 has been quite the year, and I feel like one of the themes of this year has been diving into, you know, uh, better representation, uh, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, inclusion and diversity in, in workplaces, and this is definitely a huge topic, and I'm so excited to see you working on this, so that's pretty cool. Um, now, to shift gears a little bit here, I uh, one of the things that I've been very passionate about is the, the concept of emotional intelligence and soft skills and how that plays a role in success, and, you know, just Knowing you, uh, I've known you briefly, but just kind of looking at some of your work and uh, looking at some of your uh, your talks over the years, I've always seen the commonality and the, the themes of just your, your strength and soft skills, whether that's in communication, whether that's in branding, whether that's in connecting people and just working with people. That seems to be a huge and an increasingly crucial part of career success. Can you share with me, you know, why that is important? Because there's some people out, out there who are just saying, I just need to focus on my technical skills. I need to be a good programmer. And that's all I need to worry about. And of course, that is great. But what would you say is the place of all of these other skills in career success as a whole? Communication is paramount, David. I was even teaching a course at U of M um, last year and the course was about the Canadian workplace. So it was mostly international students understanding, you know, what skills you need for the Canadian workplace. And we went through this topic so in depth because it's, you're right, 
it is perhaps something that, especially if you're a new Canadian, you people may not understand that the skills in, in other countries speak for themselves. Like if you're a really good programmer, that's okay, that's great. You're a really good programmer and that's enough. Here in North America, certainly our expectation is that you can communicate super well with your team, with, with your manager, with the rest of your team, with a client even, to be able to explain what you've done in creating that software or that thing that you're working on, you know, for using the same example. So you can't get away without it now, no matter what level of role that you're in, right? That and you do need technical skills. That, those are both things you can't get away without nowadays. Um, so it's so interesting, you know, to have people kind of see this as something maybe less important that they can get away with not having. The people who are going to keep moving up in the company, getting promoted, getting raises, you know, moving into different interesting roles are ones who are capable of communicating the, the level of work that they've just completed and communicating it in a way that their manager, their team, and their clients can all understand. And so funny enough, we actually even ran a training on this at Tech Manitoba on how to take technical speak and turn it into like good communication to your team. Um, you know, I'm lucky because I've always loved public speaking and being kind of that front person. So, but if you aren't this way, or you even just want a chance to do more of it, then I, you know, I can certainly provide some tips on how to do that too, if you'd like. Yes, please go ahead. Let's do that. <laughs> that was yeah, my next okay. question. So, you know, first it's okay to ask for something. I think so often we feel like we are waiting for people to kind of come to us for an opportunity to happen. If you realize that's a deficit that you have or it's an area where that you want to improve upon, you have to ask even about, you know, being on shows like yours, let's say, David, or shows like mine. Um, if you're a founder of a company, we'll have you on the show. I bet you there's tons of founders who think they'd like to be featured. And if you asked me, there probably would be a chance I could feature you. But sometimes I'm just busy. I have a list of people. Right. And maybe I just haven't thought of you in my priority list. But if you're ready and raring to go, that makes my job easier. So why would I say no to you? Right. Like, you have to meet my criteria, of course, but the just being like asking is something we so often forget to do. So ask to be featured, ask to be a guest on a show, um, you know, ask for a chance to maybe introduce someone at an event because maybe that's less daunting than doing like a full you know, yourself or something just to get started with what it feels like to be in front of people or to be on a stage. Um, and I like to talk about public uh, personal branding with this too, because it's again, it's not really a question of whether you have a personal brand. It's whether you want to influence what your brand is or not, because anytime you speak to anyone, you're giving off a certain brand that people are reading you and seeing from you, right? And so um, you really do need to put effort into that. There's a guy named um, Rory Vaden who talks about personal branding, and he talks about it as like a formula. So he says it's results times reach that equals reputation. So basically, like. Your reputation is how many people you reach with those results that you're achieving. So again, going back to our example, you could be the best software developer in the world, but if no one knows it was you and you can't tell people what you did to reach that, what's your reputation? You're just another worker, part of the team. They don't know you're the best guy. They don't know you're the one who did all the work. They don't know that you can share your vision and help other people so you could be a leader and other people could follow you, right? Mm. Your reach is important. Absolutely. Those are very two, two key uh, important things. What I'm getting from you, number one, is take that leap of faith. Just go and ask. The worst thing you will get is a no, right? And that's as bad as it gets. Most times you will get yes. Most times you will get, you know what, this is not a perfect opportunity, but this might be a better alternative. And then you get a segue or uh, yeah. a recommendation for something else. And I think that's uh, something I have learned myself. And it's 
proved very useful. Even this uh, podcast episode, I had to reach out to you, right? On one of your uh, Instagram posts. And, uh, you know, before anything, we set this up. So that's definitely a very important thing. And also the second thing is, you know, branding. And I, and I know that's an area of expertise for yourself. And a lot of people don't think that they have to be intentional about branding. They let people dictate what their branding is. And uh, you have to be intentional about that. In this day and age, question for you, in this day and age of uh, social media and we're in the pandemic, so there is no opportunity to do all of those in-person events. What is one way you can be very intentional about, you know, cultivating or building your brand or strengthening your brand uh, in this social media age where, you know, you can do all of those in-person conversations? Do you have specific tips or ideas uh, for, for someone who's thinking about that right now? Mm -hmm. You know, social media obviously is like such a great tool that we can leverage for that. So if there are still certainly tons of networking events and opportunities like that magical women in tech meetup group I just told you about is a great example. You can even just if that's not for you, you know, go to meetup.com or look on any association website like we're the Technology Association of Tech Manitoba, but there are all kinds of versions. There's New Media Manitoba. There's, you know, North Forge, like I was talking about, who does entrepreneurship type events and stuff like that. There's all these groups. There's the aviation industry. There's, there's tons of them, right? Bioscience and all these things. And they all do networking events and mixers, many of which are free, like lunch and learns and things like that. So there are still ways to insert yourself in and meet new people. There's some great tools that we're all using now, like Tech Manitoba has been using this great one called Remo where you're actually like sitting at a table of people in a conference essentially, but it's all virtual and you can change tables and meet different people. So it's like true networking still. So this stuff's popping up now as we all get used to more tech and how to do things, how to properly network virtually. So don't count those out as really good options. And then, um, you know, the other piece is the social media piece to dig into that a little deeper, you know, post actively on business platforms like LinkedIn really is such a great one. You can look at my profile and see some of the posts I put out. They're a little bit longer, you know, and many, there's awesome examples out there too. You know, I'm Margot Miller on there, but there's a bunch of great people that you'll see, you know, many of which I comment on their stuff and so you can find other good examples. But it's a way of staying relevant, of showing that you are passionate about certain topics. But, you know, to your point, David, the word you use that's so great is being intentional. So same with this here. Um, you may love biking, but if biking is not going to be your job or related to it, probably save that for platforms like Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook or TikTok, whatever you're on, and save maybe your more business-related conversation on LinkedIn. Um, if your business is around biking, amazing, but otherwise you understand the example here that I'm giving. Um, and stay really positive online. Right now, it's really tough. There's a lot going on. Um, again, if you want to share personal anecdotes that are quite serious, I would again recommend doing that on platforms that are not LinkedIn because LinkedIn is essentially your resume, right? So it really is where businesses that are looking to hire are going or even people who are potentially looking to do business with you as an entrepreneur. Because um, again, that's like that, that is your card. That's your business card. That's your resume. So being a little bit more intentional on that platform. I mean, really watch any silliness on all platforms and being a, be a good human being really at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And I really like the, the comments you made about being positive because it's very easy to kind of be uh, in the pity party sort of mode and saying how, you know, it's all bad, you know, no jobs or things are not going well. But at the end of the day, that doesn't serve anyone. Uh, have been positive. Yeah, it's not going to get you a job, right? Like instead, why don't you go to the page that is in the industry you want to work in, some kind of company or page or, or feed that you see. You can even look, do keyword searches, right? And when a cool topic comes up that you're interested in, comment in a positive way, like, hey, I'm out of work right now, but love what you guys are talking about. Miss being in this industry so much. I have so much to give. 
wouldn't that be such a better way to use your time, right? Like, absolutely. And I know sometimes you want to rant. Ideally, doing it on social media is not the best place. Totally agree. Totally agree. And just from my own personal experience, and you know, I lost my job through this pandemic. And you know, I took the one, one, two days to cry my head off and to, to, to kind of complain. But after that, I was, sure. I was back to work and I was out there putting out positive vibes, started this podcast and so many of opportunities have opened up for me just as a, as a result of being optimistic and being positive. Lots and lots of people reaching out, you know, trying to start out new ventures with me bringing my attention to like new opportunities of things they're working on. And it's been so humbling and so amazing as well. So yeah, you're very correct mm -hmm. on that point. And you know, everyone's going through so much right now, David, that like we can still make mistakes even when we're trying to be positive. Um, you know, I did have an experience of that on social media during this time. Like um, sometimes being really positive can come across as insensitive, right? And so because there is so much going on right now. And I think if you do run into that kind of stuff where you're struggling with that on social, um, again, like just don't engage in it negatively. If you have to take something down or apologize, you know, consider doing so there, you're never going to get it right every single time. And I think just being like open and acknowledging the other people's comments, not engaging in like a reactionary way, is of course going to go so much further. And like I said, like even I've dealt with that, right. And I'm trying to be conscious of how I engage. And so it can happen. And so it's just really being, trying again to just at the end of the day, be a good human, be a good person. And you can, you can, you know, again, take things down or apologize if you have to, rather Absolutely. than doing the opposite and digging deeper into it. That's awesome. 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 Um, now, my next point, uh, I want us to kind of move into kind of the, almost the last piece of our conversation here is, uh, of course, being a pandemic, and we've made a lot of reference to the pandemic in our conversations today. Uh, I'm very curious from a personal perspective, and I guess a professional perspective. How would you say the pandemic has affected you personally and professionally as you go about doing your work? And what has, how have you dealt with that frustration? And I'm very curious, considering that you're a high performer. And uh, it's funny because before we started recording this episode, you were telling me about all the next back-to-back-to-back -back -to -back things you had lined up after that conversation, which means you know, you're very busy. You're still keeping up all the intensity with your activities. Can you just share with me how you've managed uh, to, you know, to, to uh, navigate this pandemic? You know, it's funny, if you would have asked me this question a few months ago, I probably would have a different answer from today because we're all living this in such a long-term manner now, right? And so I'm definitely an extrovert. So for those of you that are listening that are, um, it's, it's tricky, right? We're used to gaining energy off of interaction with other human beings. Like that's essentially how it works as an extrovert. So I can get that a little bit through online calls, right? And I do enough Zoom calls that I still am like, I have human interaction, but I'm bored, right? Like there are days where I just, that's the best way to describe it. I just feel bored like with life because I wanna do more and I wanna see more people and I wanna go to big conferences. Um, I'm certainly being that kind of go-getter type personality. I am still filling my time with a lot of stuff, you know, to that point you were just saying. Unfortunately for me, a lot of that, that stuff happens to be computer-based stuff. So like the podcast, for example, you're editing, you're on a computer, you're recording with technology. My day job is a lot of Zoom calls and being on technology. So for me, I'm trying to now find things to do with my hands um, because I need time off of, off of technology. Um, it's very easy to get caught up with like TV screens, computer screens, phone, right? Especially when my work and all my side work is also all on that, uh, those platforms. 
So I took up running, which I didn't used to do. And I'm loving that. I use the Nike run app. If anyone needs a recommendation to help them get started, I literally went from like zero to a hundred. I mean, I'm not a hundred. I'm not about to run a marathon, but my level of a hundred, um, like I'm running in the winter now in the snow and I'm loving it. So I went from not even running in nice days. Right. So mm-hmm. that's been really exciting. Like there's been some positive things like that, that have come out of this tricky time because I needed an outlet. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, people listening have found their outlet because that's tricky to do. And like I said, there are still days I totally feel bored, but I'm really fortunate in that I'm working in the technology industry and working in technology means there is still work. Um, you know, in fact, I was reading a report recently about our GDP in technology products and services. And from the tech services side, it's it's gone up. It's higher than it was before the pandemic. And so it's just showing that, um, that I'm, I'm, you know, luckily in this industry where we're still very much prevalent and it's so tricky. So if I may, David, answer your question from the perspective of entrepreneurs and startups and tech companies that, that we know of, you know, I was just having a conversation with Marshall Ring who runs MTA and he was giving me some great insight into the, into some of the problems that they're facing and, but saying that many of his, the companies that they work with and support are technology companies. And so if they're, if people are able to replace their traditional business processes and applications with tech, again, you know, using that example of like Calia Flowers, then it's a company who's able to rely on tech more than brick and mortar. Those companies are really seeing growth, which, you know, hurts to say when we have lots of companies who aren't. So there's this rich environment though for innovation and startups. So if you are, you know, if some of your listeners are that kind of looking to start a business or be in that entrepreneurial space, there's lots of smart people who are getting laid off. So, you know, it doesn't have to do with your level of intelligence. It's just tricky timing right now, right? And so some of those really interesting people with big ideas now have more time on their hands. So even, you know, someone like you, David, starting a really cool show, it's because they have a little more time on their hands and and now other people are gonna benefit from that and from those ideas, right? So we're converting people who now have more time into active innovators and they're investigating how they can launch their startups. So it's this idea, you know, as Marshall will say that disruption equals opportunity. And so, so in some ways that's really good. And then, you know, in talking to someone like Northforge, they're saying people dealing in the US market has been really tough. Uh, so from that startup perspective, because politics, but also number of COVID cases. So a lot of people are in, you know, like a holding pattern essentially, hoping for that, that next stage where they can start moving forward again. So these, these, you know, big discrepancies based on industry Obviously, my experience is speaking from the tech industry side of things and this entrepreneurial ecosystem, and there still certainly is room for all of those things. And, um, you know, we can talk about fun stuff too, like a bunch of our support local programming, like Good Local and the locals Winnipeg and some of those guys. Um, Because even if you are like a maker's space or you're like a mom and pop type shop, a small retailer, there are technology platforms that can help you that may not have been as readily accessible before. So getting your product into the e-commerce world is more important than ever. And you know that's something that I'm happy to talk to anybody about and point them in the right direction. Those are the kind of things and connections that I thrive off of, right? So for me to be able to share this information is how I cope with the pandemic. And for other people that looks very different. So you know, thanks so much, David, because a conversation does give me energy. 
I'm glad to hear that. I, you know, I'm an extrovert as well, and I definitely understand the idea of you not know, getting your energy from other people, and I've missed a lot of that. But also just uh, to come back to the point on the pandemic, this is a, really a time to build. There is not many time in history where everyone in the world literally is facing the same situation. And uh, it's a time to, you know, either, either move ahead or stagnate. And if you stagnate, by the time the whole pandemic is over and you look at every, you know, some of your other peers who are trying to move ahead, you will find that you're so behind because they've used this time to build something, to add value in some way and move themselves ahead. But uh, a few last questions for you here, Mago. And I'm always very curious to, to get a take on, on predictions. And the reason why I, am, uh, I like asking this question is because, you know, again, when a pandemic that is affecting everybody and one way or the other, for better or for worse, some things are going to happen in the future as a result of this pandemic. Uh, from, for, for, uh, from based on your experience, you know, in the startup space, in the entrepreneurship space, what would you think will change for better or for worse? And again, there's no wrong answer to this because we don't know. But what, what, what do you think will change or will happen uh, as a result of this pandemic over the next couple of years as we move ahead? Oh my gosh, a blanket question, David, you're scaring me. So change in general, you're asking, like just some kind of change in the world from the pandemic. Oh my gosh, well, I think that when it comes to remote work, we're not gonna go back to the way it was before. So my prediction would be that companies become a lot more flexible with, um, with flexible work hours, flexible work time, with remote workers and setting people up for success in those roles. So before the barrier to a lot of companies was that they didn't have like the infrastructure in place. They didn't have the safety with their tech, their equipment, like their laptops being sent out and things like that. Now they've already been all forced to do that and they've realized some of the benefits of it. And I don't think that means that we're all gonna work at home forever or that many companies, in fact, I know people who have been at the office this entire time, they've never been sent home, even in code red right now. So, you know, so that's not necessarily the case for, for some of these bigger organizations that are kind of, it would be harder to make changes, but in small, medium enterprise, I see there being way more flexibility, way less borders, which is great for people, you know, in cities like ours, who might want to one day reach it to work at some bigger kind of, you know, cool companies. And we've got very cool companies here too. Let's just be clear on that. But they might have some in their mind that they're picturing. And before they wouldn't hire people in a city like Winnipeg, you had to be in the US somewhere or you had to be in a bigger city in Canada. And now I think some of those walls will be a little bit lower. And so I think we'll be able to access some really neat partnerships and really neat opportunities. And, um, and I don't think we'll go back to the same percentage of people being kind of forced to work full time in a physical space. Absolutely. I do agree with you. I think that opportunities are becoming more and more open, uh, even uh, internationally, right? Because uh, I've, I've had lots of people reach out to me from outside Canada. And generally, before the pandemic, that would not typically have been the case. So it opens up new opportunities. And last question for you is word of advice. So what would be a word of, of advice to anyone listening, whether they're entrepreneurs or someone who is a career professional? Any last word of advice based on your experience and learning so far? Sure. Yes. This is so cheesy, David, but the first thing that came to mind when you asked that was um, just start. We called our podcast Start Podcast for a reason because every entrepreneur we spoke to, every person we spoke to who got a big idea off the ground were people who just at some point said, okay, I got to do it. It wasn't people who had like a 20 page business plan and everything perfect, right? That applies to whether you're starting a business or whether you're just taking on something new, like, you know, me learning to run. The very first day, I hated running to the end of my street, even though I was a soccer player. This makes no sense, I know. But, um, but 
you know, you have to just do it and your mind eventually gets you past those barriers, right? But if you just let the barriers stay there and you find excuses and reasons not to do something, you're not going to do it. And so even if you're starting with a, such a small version of what you're hoping one day that thing achieves, that start is what will eventually get you to that goal. Without the start, right, you have nothing. And so I know that sounds so obvious and cheesy, but I bet you everyone listening has at least one thing in their life they're thinking, I really need to get started on that. And I just like have all these reasons why I'm not. So end of the day, it's like, the, you know, silly like Nike, just do it, just start, right? So that's definitely my advice. You know, the most profound answers are often the simplest, right? And uh, I think that falls into that category of a thousand steps. The journey of a thousand steps starts with that first, uh, you know, movement, that first step. So uh, I definitely agree with you. It's been a huge pleasure having you on the show, Mago. You've had so much insight and wisdom you've uh, provided to me and my listeners. I do appreciate your time and thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much, David. It was a lot of fun for us extroverts to connect. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you.